Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Outside Story. You're listening to 2022 Halloween Special, and I am your host, Jonathan, and today I'm joined with my co-host, Larry. Larry, you want to say hi? Hello there. All right, and for today's episode, we are going to talk about two things. Werewolf by Night, it's the Marvel sort of one-episode special that just came out recently, and um, The Midnight Club, which dropped this past Friday on Netflix. And Midnight Club is Mike Flanagan's thing for this year. As you all know, Larry and I are really big fans of Mike Flanagan. Uh, We love his stuff here on this podcast. And um, he's most famous for Haunting of Hill House, which I'm pretty sure a lot of you have either heard of or seen. But yeah, so I guess we'll just jump right into it. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. That's fine. Okay. Let's begin with Werewolf by Night. Um, Larry, do you want to give a summary of that one? Yeah, sure. So Werewolf by Night is about these group of hunters. One of the hunters, he just passed away. And so his wife is holding a funeral for them. And so all the hunters gather together. And usually the hunters, when they gather, they're usually anonymous. But this time they bore their face. So everyone kind of saw who each other was. And so they go there and then... The one who's getting buried, his his last message to them is that he wants to pass on this hunting ritual that he has for them to someone else to take to take upon the mantle, I guess. And so he decides to release all of the hunters into this maze to hunt this monster. Whoever kills this monster gets to become the next person who owns the business, but also gets access to the bloodstone. I believe that's what it's called. A redstone or bloodstone? Yeah, I think it's the Bloodstone. Bloodstone, okay. Yeah. And so, um, in addition to these hunters, the daughter of the family is also there as well, whom they've never seen in, like, ages. Um, and so she's also there to kind of claim her her right to this Bloodstone as well. So that's that's pretty much the gist of it, wouldn't you say? I, I would say that that's the gist of it. We follow... Um, sort of one hunter in particular whose name is Jack. Um, And we're going to start going into spoilers. So for those of you who haven't seen Werewolf by Night yet, just know that it's a part of the MCU. You can pause the podcast here and then go go watch it before you continue listening. But we follow um, a hunter named Jack who doesn't really seem like a hunter the first time you meet him. He's a little sort of timid and kind of like an odd person for being a hunter like the other hunters are all these like you know dudes who look like assassins basically or they look like they came out of devil may cry (laughs) um but you know and then you have jack who kind of just looks he also kind of looks like a priest to me just the way that he his outfit is and and then he has like these these like markings and makeup on and stuff like that too but it follows jack and also elsa who is the daughter of the hunter who just passed away and sort of their initial bonding during this whole thing what did you think of it larry i really liked the aesthetics and the style that they chose for this particular story they definitely wanted to show that this was something very um i don't want to say ancient because that sounds very (laughs) very rude to (laughs) to like classic to classic films of the era you know but but we can tell that this is something that's been going on for a very long time um, yeah. And by having this kind of aesthetic and style, the black and white noir kind of look, mm-hmm. you know, pays homage to a, a lot of the classical films way back when in the very early ages of film. Mm-hmm. And not just 
like classic films, but classic horror films. Like pays a mm-hmm. lot of homage to those sorts of things. Kind of like what um what WandaVision did when it first came out. It was paying homage to a lot of the 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 sitcoms and the styles mm-hmm. of of the the ages and the eras. Um, yeah, Werewolf by Night does the same thing too, but in one particular aspect. So yeah, that's what I really enjoyed. Right. Yeah, definitely like the different styles that I guess they were trying to get at. And plus this feels like Marvel's first big thing for like a horror, you know, like thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like they kind of said that Moon Knight was horror-ish, but I didn't think Moon Knight had that many horror elements to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, Werewolf by Night, feels like something you want to watch during like the Halloween season, like during the spooky season, you know? Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this one. It was pleasant and it was only like an hour long, you know, and it's like self-contained. So it's like a really cool sort of like mini spinoff series that they did. And I feel like Marvel's been having issues with their TV shows as of late, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just don't think they hit as hard as like WandaVision and Loki did, in my opinion, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like WandaVision was very, very well done. And Loki is one of my favorites as well. But I feel like everything else was just kind of okay. And this one honestly felt really good. You know, we, we had characters that we never seen before. We had an artifact, the Bloodstone, which we don't know much about, you know, unless, of course, you know, you're into Marvel comics and stuff like that. You probably know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. But for me, like, I don't know much about it. So it's like, it's just, it's interesting and intriguing enough to keep me hooked into watching from beginning to end, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't see that much, like, special visual effects. They definitely, like, focused a lot more on practical effects, mm-hmm. um, e- even for, like, the monster they were hunting. You know, I'm pretty sure a, mm-hmm. a lot of it was... Um, done very practical and, and, and even and even when um even with all the costumes and stuff you know like i, I think they did a good job and it just kind of goes to show that you know marvel doesn't need special effects or cg to tell a good story <laughs> right. you know they can tell the story just fine you know they have the right people they just need to yeah. have the right idea to really you know expand it on it i think world by night was a very good choice um and i'm glad you you threw it on last minute to be honest because <laughs> really? cause well because i never heard of werewolf by night i had no idea what it was um yeah it wasn't until you went i believe you went to the expo yeah d23 yeah it's like okay we gotta watch this i'm like okay we'll we'll fit it in somewhere somehow you know into our list of episodes so yeah i'm, I'm glad <laughs> i'm glad we added it to our list so yeah yeah i mean i i also really enjoyed it um if you haven't seen it and you're you're a Marvel fan, like, watch it. Supposedly, it's supposed to be pretty important to, like, the MCU. So, at least that's what Kevin Feige says. <laughs> but who knows? Yeah, so, and when I mention, like, classic horror, don't expect, like, crazy jump scares or anything, but expect, like, the Frankenstein Dracula kind of horror. Like, that's yeah. kind of what you should be expecting when you <laughs> watch this film. Yeah. Or, yeah, the special, so, yeah. Yeah, there are a few quote-unquote jump scares, but, you know, you know they're coming, and you can tell, and it's more fun than it is scary, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else you want to add, Larry? Uh, no, I got nothing else. I guess the last thing I will add is that it's actually directed by Michael Giacchino, uh, which I thought was surprising, because um, I recognize Michael Giacchino's name from his work on Up, 
he composed the music for Up. And so to see him directing this was, I think, interesting, you know, because it's like, oh, like, you know, I, I know you for your music work, but uh, here he is directing this TV show. I think that's pretty cool to see. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I I saw, I recognized his name, but I didn't know who he was. I was like, right. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen that name before, <laughs> but I couldn't right. put my finger on it. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, I, I know he's done stuff for Disney and Pixar and stuff like that, but it was interesting to see him here. I was like, I was like, huh, I've never seen him, you know, with a directing credit for Disney. So it was good to see that. I guess we'll move on to Midnight Club. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> uh, man, the Midnight Club. Where do we start with this? This is oof. Um, so like I was saying earlier, it is Mike Flanagan. And also, he's not fully credited for the creation of this. So like um, in the beginning, it also credits Leah Fong. So this is created by Mike Flanagan and Leah Fong. And Leah Fong worked on Bly Manor with Mike Flanagan. I think she's also done other stuff. Pretty big stuff, too. I think she worked on Once Upon a Time in The Magicians. So that's kind of other stuff that she's done before, too. And I was excited to watch this. And I think Larry and I have been waiting like a year <laughs> for this. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess just a quick synopsis of this is um this tv show follows a young woman named gosh what is her name i'm blinking out i was gonna say uh, imani but no that's no 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 ilanka <laughs> ilanka mm-hmm. yeah so it follows a young woman named ilanka who is diagnosed with thyroid cancer and it gets to the point where she is diagnosed as being terminal, which means that she's going to die from cancer. And she decides that instead of like living in the hospital or living with her foster dad, she decides that she wants to go live in a hospice for other terminally ill young people. And it's a place called Brightcliff Hospice over in the Pacific Northwest. And she moves there. And on sort of the first night there, she stumbles upon her roommate leaving the room at midnight. And so she follows her roommate and turns out that the other patients at this hospice um, get together at midnight to tell scary stories to each other as sort of a means to almost like a means to cope with um, sort of the, the things that they deal with being terminally ill. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the gist of the story. It just kind of follows them in their sort of journey with each other. And also Ilanka's journey of discovering more about the hospice and discovering more about her friends um, as she gets to know them. Anything you want to add, Larry? No, that's a pretty clean summary. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you can start off with your first impressions or or what your expectations were. Um, <laughs> so... I went in here blind. Like, I try to avoid, like, any articles, any trailers, anything. I just did not want to know what it was about. <laughs> like, I just want to just go right in, you know, discover it, experience it myself. And w- when I got halfway through the first episode, I was like, oh, man. I, I messaged Jonathan. I was like, Jonathan, this trigger warning. <laughs> like, I'm warning you. Trigger warning. So hard. <laughs> um, yeah, it just... Like, talking about, like, terminal illness and 
cancer and all, all these sorts of you know medical di- uh, diagnoses it's just so like, like as you get older and you start to see more of it it just gets so tough to really like confront it or you know have to deal with it um and mm-hmm. so like absolutely if you if you're curious about like checking this this horror series out like just a warning like super triggering <laughs> there's so many triggers and yeah. because because like not triggers not in like in a bad way but triggers because it's like it's so real you know and, and yeah it's it's heavy stuff yeah like yeah grave of the fireflies which is like you know this animation about like <laughs> the bombings in world war Two. like that's heavy stuff so like this is like that kind of heavy, you know, like just mm-hmm. the stuff they talk about, how they experience it, and how they describe it, and portray it, detail it, everything, super heavy. So yeah, that was my first impression. I was like, oh man, like like the mo the moment, you know, like at first, so like what the pilot shows like Ilanka's like she's salutatorian, she's about to go to Stanton College, she's so ready, you know, to move on to her next part of her life, but then she gets diagnosed with this illness and so it's like man like your whole life just completely like gets brushed and shattered just so quickly and so like the moment that happened i was like oh man this is going to be a real tough story like i just knew it from the very beginning mm-hmm. um so yeah that, that was that would be my first impression my first impressions going into this i was like oh man buckle up you know because <laughs> we're, we're going on a ride here it's a little bit of a slow ride, which I think is fine, but um, it's still very emotional and very heavy um, and very depressing and tragic at the same time, too. But this is, you know, horror, I guess, at its best. Yeah. Um, being super tragic and I don't know what the word is, but it's like I explained it to a friend as like going to like a museum and seeing a painting that is like very sorrowful and scary but also at the same time beautiful or going to somebody's funeral service and like knowing that they're gone but then the people who loved them like put on such an amazing celebration of life for them you know like that's kind of what it felt like Mm -hmm. um where there's just all this sorrow, but at the same time, it helps you to realize the beauty of life and the beauty of what it means to be human. I feel like those are kind of my first impressions of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, um, haven't you mentioned that the Midnight Club was a lot of inspiration for... Uh, my God, how is it? How is it escaping my mind? <laughs> are you afraid of the yes, dark? Yes, are you afraid of the dark? Yeah, yeah it yes. is, yeah. Yes, yes. So, like, TV shows um, back in the days, like Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark, were very heavily inspired by The Midnight Club. And, you know, even even at the... In, in the show, the, the young people, before they tell a story, they have this, like, saying, sort of like a liturgy, um, that they just say before they tell their story. And it's similar to you know, Are You Afraid of the Dark? I think they call themselves the Midnight Society in um, yeah. Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is kind of funny because it's basically the Midnight Club, yeah. you know? They just pay, Instead just of pay saying... a lot of homage to each other. That's, that's what Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, and I think the Midnight Club does a really good job with, like, that idea of, like, episodic storytelling with mm-hmm. uh, horror anthologies and horror short stories. Right. But then also doing a good job with an overall story arc for 
each of the characters and the first season as a whole. So mm-hmm. that this is kind of what I imagined a remake of Are You Afraid of the Dark would have been. I didn't see the remake that happened, I think, a couple years ago or a few years ago now. Because I think they did a remake of Are You Afraid of the Dark in 2019 mm-hmm. or 2020. Yes. But um, I, I didn't watch that one. But this one, The Midnight Club, I feel like this one is, is really good and worth watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Larry, do you have anything specific <laughs> that you want to talk about for this podcast, I guess, in regards um, to this show? Do you want to, like, knock out each episode? Or... Yeah, I guess we can go episode by episode yeah, if you want. Because uh, it's a little bit tough to, like, talk specifics until we lay out the entire foundation, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we pretty much talked about the first episode already. You know, uh, Ilanka learning she has this illness and going to the hospice. That Essentially, that's pretty much what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. All that really right. happens. And we can talk about the episode, too, if you'd like, unless there's something else you want to mention. No, we can go episode by episode and just kind of oh. talk about things as they come up. That's oh, fine. maybe the first thing we should mention is the re- Okay, so the reason why Ilanka wants to stay at this hospice is because she read a newspaper article about this young woman named Julia Jane. Uh, she also had thyroid cancer back in like nineteen early early nineteen sixties ish, and she stayed at this hospice. She disappeared for like roughly a week and then she came back and her her cancer was cured. And so when she when uh Ilanka heard about this, that's that's always the main reason why she wanted to go and, you know, find a way to cure her illness. So mm-hmm. that that's the that's the main reason right. why she wants to, to stay there. And then that's right. when she stumbles upon the midnight club and hearing all the stories and meeting all the other Mm -hmm. people as well right ilanka has this sort of hope that if she goes to brightcliff hospice that she might also be able to find a cure for herself so that she can live out the rest of her life as she feels like she's supposed to Mm -hmm. all right so um episode two so roughly each episode has like a story. It has like an overall story, right? Like uh, that all the characters kind of go through during the day. Then like in the middle of the episode, that's when one of the people staying there will share a story. Um, mm-hmm. So Ilanka's story from episode one, she told the story of Julia Jane, but kind of put a twist on it. So that was her story. And in episode two... Uh, is Anya's story. So Anya is Ilanka's roommate, whom mm. she does not get along very well with Ilanka at all. Um, <laughs> like, They're kind of opposite of each yeah, other. Yeah, complete opposites, right? Because Ilanka yeah. kind of has, like, is trying to, like, be nice and just try to be friendly, but also hold on to, like, uh, like a kind of hope. But uh, at this point, Anya is, like, the complete opposite of that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. sh- she's... Um, the way she sees life and also the way she puts herself out there to Ilanka is like the complete opposite. And so she's very, I wouldn't say hostile, but, but very blunt about a lot of things and kind of says things out there as it is, you know. She tries to be mm-hmm. as realistic as possible. That's pretty much Anya's. Um, <laughs> Do you like Anya? <laughs> Anya's actually my favorite character. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, which is really surprising. Because I actually really like her story as well. So in episode two, Anya tells uh, her Midnight Club story, which was called The Two Danas. 
and it's about mm-hmm. like a girl named Dana. She's this ballerina. She's trying to train to to enter this academy or this dance troupe. But then she's only like like a teenager in high school, and so she also wants to like you know go out there and have fun, not have to like put on this perfect kind of portrayal of herself to her parents and to this uh, to this thing that she feels she feels pressured to accomplish to. So she makes a deal with the devil, literally, and she uh, splits herself into two, basically. And so Dana won Dana too, basically. While Dana one is busy doing the perfect stuff, Dana two goes out and does whatever the hell she wants, you know? And they both experience the same thing at the same time. Eventually, it kind of gets to a point where the, the two Danas have... Oh, I don't know if you noticed, but we're probably going to talk spoilers. We're going to talk about all episodes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, right. Just, just a heads up. If, if you're interested, if this sounds interesting to you so far, uh, definitely check out the show on Netflix. And so the two Danas essentially get tired of each other's shenanigans, and they decide to, to kill each other. And they do succeed... But then you don't really know who's alive or who's dead because it's sort of <laughs> right. like the Dana first one, Dana or the second Dana, Dana. two, which one? Yeah. And then when she's when she's lying in the hospital bed, that's when the devil goes and tells her, "It's like, girl, you see, like it's just you. There's no real enemy or bad person here. It was just you the entire time, you know." Right, like the devil didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It was all. It's always been her. Like the devil didn't change her. Yeah, yeah, like like yeah. this idea of like self sabotage. You know, mm-hmm. um, kind of like reminiscent of Annihilation. I think that's probably why I really like this particular story. And then the interesting thing as we continue to talk about this is that all of the people who tell these stories, what they tell and the moral of their stories are very reflective of their own experiences. Yeah, you know? and who they are. Yep. And that's why I absolutely like love this show because it's such a truth of reality is that like no matter what we try to do, whether we try to tell stories in like another fashion or in another setting or another genre, whatever, whatever it is, like no matter what, like a part of us will always be in the stories that we express and portray. And this show just really like puts it out there. And that's what I really like about the show. What do you think about this horror story, I guess, if you want to? The two Danas? <laughs> yeah. Um, I really liked the two Danas, and I also really like Anya as a character, too. At first, I did not like her, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, like, towards the end of everything, she definitely grew on me. But I feel like the two Danas was a pretty good story. It's not my favorite, but it was a good story. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess when Anya was first introduced, I was like, man, there's no way she can just be like this kind of jerk the entire show. <laughs> I'm sure there's something there that we just don't know right. yet, you know? And I'm really right. glad they really dug right in. They, you know, they dug right. deep right into that. So yeah, I'm really glad they took that route. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how Anya, or I guess Anya paints herself as like this girl who was perfect essentially you know like she did she listened to all the rules like she obeyed all the rules she did everything she could to become successful and great and then she just kind of gave it all away you know Mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot more stories so yeah we'll we'll get to your favorite one eventually (laughs) i don't i don't it's hard to pick which one's my favorite but um let's move on to episode three if that's okay with you Mm -hmm. sure Yeah, so episode three is called The Wicked Heart. And um, in this episode, Kevin is one of the patients and he tells his sort of short story 
Kevin is the character that Ilanka first meets when she gets to the hospice. And Kevin kind of like is, I don't know how to explain it, but Kevin is kind of like the really caring soul, I guess, you know? Like he cares a lot about other people and what other people think. And he cares a lot about how they feel. And so he does his best to try to make people's memory of him like the best that it can be even at his own expense you know because mm-hmm. he's the one who's dying <laughs> but but he's right. just like you know i care more about what other people think of me you know rather than my last days here on earth or whatever but uh kevin tells this story about a kid named dustin not not dustin dusty i guess his the real name is dustin but they call yeah. him dusty mm-hmm. dusty who like is just kind of this average kid really quiet but he has sort of this secret that nobody knows about and one day when he hears that one of his classmates from school is gonna be home alone he goes over to her house and he kills her and we learn that dusty is sort of like this serial killer who is trying to hide his i guess tendencies of killing people but he like hears voices and these voices tell him to go and kill people particularly women like young girls um not young girls but like young women <laughs> like like yeah, high school yeah girls. like high school girls mm-hmm. yeah um and so kevin though like doesn't finish his story he's just like uh you gotta you gotta uh, to be continued basically you gotta yeah. come back and um what does he say? Like something about like stay alive uh, if you want to hear the rest of the story or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to stay alive or uh, so- something like that. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines of like you know, you mother effers better stay alive and continue to come back if you want to hear the rest of the story. Kind of like a poking fun of it at, at his friends who are all terminally ill um, to continue to fight and stay alive if they want to hear the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, this story is really good. I like this story a lot uh, and, and he doesn't finish it in this episode, but eventually he does finish the story. And I would say it's one of my, it's up there. It's probably one of the top three for me in terms of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was a pretty good story too. A lot of like tension and a lot of like mystery and intrigue. They did a really good mm-hmm. job with this one. Also, if you're a little curious, so each story, when they tell these stories, there's like a portrayal, right? And then the people from the hospice, they're the ones who are portraying. I really found that very amusing. I found that really interesting too, because you get to see them act, not just act as the the people in the hospice, but also act as the characters in their stories as they tell, you yeah. know? And I, I really yeah. liked what they did there. Yeah, the reenactments are pretty funny sometimes, depending on the story. Yeah, depending on the story, yeah, it can be, yeah. it can be very, very funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think about Kevin as a character? Since this is kind of his his main episode, I guess. I love Kevin. I think he's one of my favorite characters. I don't know if he's the favorite, but he's definitely one of my favorite characters, just because he's just a very generous and caring person, you know. And I'm. I feel like I like to think that I'm that way too. <laughs> and so like, um, and so like I see a lot of myself in Kevin mm, in okay. that, like, you know, he cares a lot about what other people think of him. He is just kind of very nice and generous to begin with, you know, and he has a hard time 
facing the truth, I guess, of things. And I feel like a lot of times that's how I am too. Like I'm, I'm a nine on the Enneagram. So if anybody confronts me about anything, my like response is usually to say nothing or to, um, to just ignore it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like Kevin is kind of a, I don't know if he's a nine on the Enneagram, but he's definitely, um, one of those people that's kind of just riding the wave, you know, mm-hmm. until things are over. But I think he finds the courage to do things that he knows is right, you know, um, even though he's kind of been holding off on doing them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's one of my favorite characters. What do you think? Yeah, I, I like Kevin as a character. Nothing, to be honest, though, nothing really particularly stands out at first about him you kind of see that he's very good at making friends very early on <laughs> like like uh, he's uh, kevin's one of ilanka's very first friends you know at this hospice mm-hmm. um and they do get along very well together and he's always very supportive he, he's he's just one of those guys where it's like man like it's if you if you have him as a friend you know it's good to have him as a friend you know um <laughs> and, and we'll we'll talk more about this later but th- th- there's a few parts later where his character really shines out a lot more and those are with like his interactions with like his um his high school girlfriend and uh, mm-hmm. his family as well so mm-hmm. yeah episode four is called give me a kiss and it is sandra's story so sandra is like a very devout and faithful religious christian. yeah religious christian and so she kind of holds on to this and kind of tells other people about it too and proud of it <laughs> and so she, she tells and i guess that the gimmick or the gagging gimmick was that um all of her stories had some kind of angels in it <laughs> and then all and then all the other kids uh, all the other the, the the teens the young people they were sick of sick of hearing they called it angel pull. they're like okay we, we can't yeah. we can't hear any more of this angel stuff sandra just stop it but then for this story, Sandra decided to tell a uh, detective noir story. It was also at a point where Sandra and one of the other characters, uh, Spence, but they kind of get into a fight, like an argument. And during their hospice stay, they all have like group therapy where they all kind of get together with the, the head of the, the hospice care facility and they just, you know, have therapy and they talk. And Sandra gets into an argument with Spence about religion um, because the reason why Spence is disconnected with some of his family is because of religion. And so that's why Spence has this hold against that. Um, And Sandra, in a way, is almost kind of imposing it onto him. And he just doesn't like that. And so Sandra tells this story, Give Me a Kiss. And so Give Me a Kiss is about this... um, It pays a lot of homage to, like, classic film noir detective stuff (laughs) (laughs) very i would almost call it like a parody it felt like a parody oh yeah totally i was laughing during this yeah yeah yeah, because like the 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 leader of the hospice care facility was like the detective and like you know the per the the eyewitness was sandra and you had all these other uh all the other people in the hospice were playing their roles in this particular story and more more so than all the other ones and so i thought this one was was pretty funny with that they're just trying to solve a murder about like how someone had died who was like her like who was who who was her ex-boyfriend and she believes someone someone was the main suspect basically um but to be honest, it's a little hard to keep track of, the, of this story because so much yeah, happens. Yeah, there's a lot of characters. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, compared to the other Minute Club stories they talk about, the Detective Noir one has a lot of a lot of characters to keep track of. Um, right, right, and I, I, I do, I do agree with you. It's a little confusing, like to follow the plot of it, you know, because you don't really get to see it from the other characters' perspectives, you know. Yeah, so yeah. it's, it's kind of hard to follow. But I, I got the main gist of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah, cause it's so weird. Cause we're not sure what this story th- does. This story follow um, Spence's character, or does this story follow Sandra's character? You know what I mean? Like, it, well, it's, it's a little weird at first. Yeah, it follows Sandra's character, but the thing about Spence that I guess it's, it's a pretty important thing to know. The reason why Spence is in Brightcliff Hospice is because Spence has AIDS. And so very early on in the show, I think it's like episode one or two, where Spence actually like cuts himself while they're cutting paper in the library. And then he gets his like blood squirted on Anya. And he's like apologizing profusely and then leaves and everybody's like super quiet. And Elanka's like, what's the issue? What's happening? And it's because um, like Spence has AIDS. And before, you know, like all there was like knowledge about AIDS and stuff like that. Like people believed that if you had AIDS and you squirted your blood at somebody, you can give them HIV, you know, but like that's that's not true. But because of that. Spence and Sandra kind of have like this weird sort of thing because Sandra's so religious that like Spence thinks that Sandra hates him essentially. Mm-hmm. Like Spence Spence has this feeling that like because of because of Sandra's faith, like Sandra like thinks that you know she that that he's an abomination or whatever. Um, I think that's just what Spence thinks, right? And mm-hmm. Sandra hasn't proven him otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. Sandra hasn't said anything, so it, of course that's what you would think. You know, because Sandra didn't say anything to him. But I think this story is supposed to help with us understanding the dynamic between Sandra and Spence. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, um, because. In the end, like, <laughs> Sandra believes that they're just still friends. You know, that's just... Yeah. That's just what it is. And, mm-hmm. like... And, and at the end of the story, like, she even apologizes to Spence about, like, his mom's faith and their faith community and stuff like that. And she, I think she says something along the lines of, like, you know, like, I'm sorry that other people treated you like crap, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, because she's like, because I would never do that to you. And I know that God would never do that to you. And I, I was, I was so powerful to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know, I don't know what else. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so powerful because it's. I believe I, I strongly agree with Sandra, you know, on this. Mm-hmm. And then Spence gets up and then hugs her, you know, um, after saying that. Um, so I think it, it's, it is a story about both Spence and Sandra, you know, mm-hmm. um, and sort of Sandra's perspective on saying that like no matter what i will always see you as my friend you know even after all this vengeance stuff even after all these things that we might do to each other like i will always see you as my friend and that that's kind of what i got out of the story mm-hmm. yeah no that that's um and I, I feel like every story they tell will always just kind of have like this feeling where it's like okay you kind of know this is how they feel but it's sometimes it's hard to like put it into exact words so you tell it through a story you know and i I think that's what all of these stories do very well so yeah 
I liked this story and I did like this. I think this episode is probably one of my favorite episodes, even though I'm looking on IMDb right now and it's like one of the lowest rated ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually was not a huge fan of the story, but I really liked the episode. Yeah, I really liked the episode. Yeah. So this next one is a story called See You Later, and it follows another one of the patients whose name is Amesh. I love Amesh. Oh, I don't yeah. know about you, Larry, Amesh, Amesh is a great character. I love Amesh is like one of my favorite characters. <laughs> like, I love Amesh so much. But Amesh, um, I think he has a tumor in his brain. Um, oh, was it and... a tumor or was it a heart condition? I, I can't it... tell. I, I Okay, so in, in the show... I think it's his brain, but in okay. the story that he tells, it's a heart condition. Oh, uh, okay, okay, I see. Yeah, because okay. like there's parts of the TV show where he starts to lose his motor functions. Oh, right, right. You know? Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, and then he's like, "Oh, I can't see out of my eye," and you know, like the left side of my body's feeling funny or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think I think he has a tumor, but in the story that he tells, his main character has a heart condition. Okay, okay. So Amesh tells this story of this kid named Luke who really likes this girl who works at the video game store. So one day he goes to the video game store to try to ask her out. And he finally gathers the courage to ask her out. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, Like, I just made it official with my boyfriend last week, you know, but... I would still love to be friends or whatever. And so Luke ends up becoming friends with Becky. But then Luke, he meets a video game designer at the video game store whose name is Vincent. And he um, essentially becomes buddies with Vincent. Vincent takes him home and shows him... Vincent's like this really, really renowned video game designer. Vincent takes Luke home and shows him this video game that he's working on. And Luke essentially tries to crack the video game, tries to beat the video game, which seems near impossible. Yeah, and then it's just kind of the story... uh, (laughs) This story was interesting. It was a little confusing at times, but I enjoyed the overall story of this one. What did you think? Yeah, I liked this story too. So throughout this entire show, it, it's a lot of like '90s nostalgia. Like, oh yeah, so I love much, that. So much homage, <laughs> so much like '90s stuff, right? And which is right. so weird. Like we talked about Stranger Things last week, and then now we're talking about this show, uh, which is '90s. And it's like, man, yeah. I, I didn't know '90s nostalgia was possible. But it's a, it's like we're <laughs> we're like in 2022 now. I know. It's like it, it's such it, we could totally do something on it now, you know? Because yeah. There's so much nostalgia from there. And and they like to bring all that stuff like video game stores, arcade games, you know, like yeah. all that stuff. AOL. I, 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 AOL. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like I am and chatting, like all that stuff is just it's there and it's it's part of the nostalgia. So and even some of the music and stuff that they play, too. Mm-hmm. Like it was all 90s stuff, which which I really liked. And enjoyed. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, don't just so it's not just for the horror, okay? It's for the nostalgia too. And this, <laughs> this show does a good job with the nostalgia. Yeah. Um, it's not just nostalgia too, because I think it is actually taking place in the nineties, right? Uh, the whole hospice oh, yeah. present uh-huh. time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think ninety four is where we first start off with Ilanka. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and then I think it's like a year later, so probably around ninety five is when she gets to the hospice. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, so this story, I 
kind of had a feeling where it was going, like like what what the twist was. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. Yeah. It, it was just just a feeling. Because when, yeah. when when they showed Vincent's wife, Kara, uh, I was like, uh-huh. I was looking at, it, I was like, am I supposed to know who she is? <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then I thought about, it, I was like, mm, I think I think I know where they're getting at. <laughs> yeah, so, they were hinting pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I I think. Even all the stories, sometimes a lot of the stories can be very, like, on the nose sometimes. But, like, mm-hmm. it's not a problem, though, because these are younger storytellers. And these are stories that are told in the very, very short amount of time. So you kind of just have to spill everything out. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think this and is this is one of the first stories that had a lot of exposition for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I also think that, like, a part of that sort of cheesy storytelling and the campiness of it all it like adds to the 90s nostalgia you know yeah, what i mean yeah like it, it sort of adds to that like at the end of kevin's story which happens like later on like there's this part where like all the people he killed are like just ascending into heaven you know <laughs> and i thought it was so campy and cheesy but like i was like but this is so 90s you know what i mean yeah and, yeah. and it works it works for the tone and so i really enjoyed that at that part of it but yeah, anyway yeah back to Amesh I love Amesh he's one of my favorite characters he's like a video game nerd and a nerd in general you know mm-hmm. and there's just so much about him that is very endearing and likable and um this story was interesting but I think I like Amesh as a character very much overall so mm-hmm. in episode six Kevin continues his previous story with the serial killer the wicked heart mm-hmm um, and I think the only thing he really adds in this story is that he claims another victim, but then one of Dusty's friends discovers, like, connects the dots, basically, and figures out that it is, like, a serial killer case, and yeah. asks and Dusty. And he starts falling for Sheila, basically. Yeah, yeah. He starts falling, uh, Dusty starts falling for Sheila, and then that's when Dusty gets that voice in his head to tell him to kill Sheila. So Sheila should be his next victim. Yeah. Um, and so... This particular story, when this part was revealed, it pays homage to Friday the 13th. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not particularly familiar with the the story or like the films because we have yet to watch it. <laughs> but but I, I, I know I know in the lore of it, Friday the 13th, Jason kills camp counselors because he hears his mother's voice in his head telling him to do it. Oh. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, so so when this happened I was like, "Oh yeah, that's just like, you know, Friday the 13th." So like you, you start to kind of see a lot of the inspirations for mm-hmm. these storytellers, you know, for for Kevin's storytelling and for all these other stuff. And so again, Kevin leaves us on a cliffhanger. <laughs> he doesn't finish the story <laughs> yet. Um and so that's when Ilanka introduces another story called Witch and which is about this girl named Imani. I think this is where you confused it, <laughs> John. Right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, so Ilanka, but she had a character named Imani that she plays in Witch. Yeah. Um, so it's about Imani and her mother. Like, her mother teaches her how to scry or, like, look into the future. And so basically basically all they really have to do, they don't, they don't have a crystal ball, okay? They, they look into, like, the reflections of, like, a lake or water or something, and then they can kind of see the future from there. And so with that, her mother also leaves her with a warning and tells her not to ever scry at night. Like, never try to see the future at night. It's very dangerous and bad stuff's going to happen, right? 
Uh, and then I think this is when she witnesses her mother scrying at night. So like her, her mother's a nurse at a hospital and then uh, they have an emergency situation. And so they bring in the victim and they fail to save the victim. And so her mother tries to scry and bring the victim back to life. And then in doing her so... Mother... It's not scrying. Her mother's trying to heal her. Oh, okay. Heal the victim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. So her and her mother have healing powers, but they can also scry. Oh, okay. That's where I can. Conf- yeah. Okay, I didn't. I didn't get uh-huh. that hint at all. I must have confused it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's a little confusing because they don't use their healing powers that much. They only use it like once. Oh, okay. And when okay, when, okay. when they do, they die. <laughs> so oh, it's okay, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, so the scrying at night. Thing, okay i think this is when when she goes to the lake to spread her mother's ashes that it's at night and i think that's when she scries and right. that's when she sees a vision of a boy who gets shot at this gas station and so when imani sees this and she starts hanging out with her friends she starts going crazy <laughs> about anytime they stop at a gas station <laughs> and so when when they introduce her to to like a new friend who was the boy she saw in the vision then that's when Imani's like, no, don't go. Let's just go. Let's just not stay here. And then one of her other friends was like, what? Why? It's not a big deal. So her her other friend goes in and she gets shot instead of the boy. So it kind of brings about this whole tumbling spiralness of craziness. But then the story actually cuts here because something happens with Anya real time. Mm-hmm. So that the story doesn't yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the library where they're telling the story, Anya, like, faints. And they have to stop the story and then rush Anya to the recovery room to see if she's okay. And the next episode... Uh, are, are you okay with moving on uh, to the next We can episode? talk a little bit about Anya to kind of set up what's okay. kind of been going on, yeah. Um, yeah. We've been kind of talking about each episode by episode and their Midnight Club stories, but there's also kind of an overall story that's been going on. So, <laughs> this is a horror story, and so far, nothing... The way we've been kind of talking about it, it doesn't sound very scary, right? <laughs> but I feel like a lot of the <laughs> scary stuff happens outside of these Minette Club stories that they tell. Um, right. So Anya has a tendency to see, like, these shadows. <laughs> yeah. Which, when, when they first showed it, I was like, whoa, that's freaky. And then when you see them, like, kind of appearing, like, occasionally here and there in the episodes, I'm like, oh, man, nope, I cannot deal with that shadow thing. That's so scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, um, Anya starts kind of um, like fading a little bit, like bit by bit each episode. But we kind of start to kind of see her her more vulnerable side, because um, usually when they start to to see things, that's when when we realize that's when they're kind of starting to die, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, to this build up here, Anya and Ilanka actually get much closer, and Anya starts opening up to her a little bit more. In a way, it was just kind of leading up to this point where Anya's starting to fade away. So, yeah. so, so I confuse, I confuse a little bit. When did they do the ritual? Is it after this episode, or, or is it on episode seven, or is it before that? <laughs> it's a little confusing. Oh yeah, I I don't remember the timeline for it. Yeah, like um, th- there's just because like a lot of things happen so quickly that it's so easy to jumble up like events. But uh, basically, so in the overall story, Ilanka goes out to the woods and meets this lady named Shasta, 
who is kind of like this hiker lady who who likes hiking in the woods and like gathering the herbs and flowers and stuff for herbal teas, etc. So she basically makes all these things and her company is from this company called Good Humor. And so Shasta kind of plays like a mentor role for Ilanka as she kind of goes through her time at the hospice. And so when Ilanka starts questioning about the history of Brightcliff and learning about Julia Jane and like how she got cured. Ilanka discovers that Julia did like a was it Julia who did a ritual or was it like a say so who did a ritual? <laughs> See, so that's where I swear like I'm a little confused. <laughs> like who well, did what now? Huh? What? Well, a say so did did the ritual a long time ago, and a say so is like the leader of a cult that used to live at Brightcliff. Uh-huh. Um, so a say so did that a long time ago. That failed because her daughter. Athena, right, right. Uh-huh. like, you know, like, essentially sabotage the ritual. And then later, Julia comes and then learns from Aseso, like, how to do the ritual and how to get better. And supposedly, yeah. it works. And Julia's cured, and she leaves. Um, yeah, yeah. And now, Ilanka is trying to do the ritual to save Anya, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I believe they try... But it fails. They they tried. Well, or, or no, they, they okay okay. So okay, so it doesn't fail. But they 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 try the ritual. Happens. Yeah, they try the ritual yeah. on Anya, but nothing happens. And yeah. so Ilanka feels like she did something wrong, and she's kind of like unsure of herself. But Shasta kind of like reassures her that you know it may have worked, it may not have worked. We never know. But knowing that you tried to do something was what matters more to Anya, you know, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I would say that was pretty important for Anya. And so when Anya kind of has her... Uh, we can move on to the next episode. Um, yeah, that. so when Anya faints, I think it was during the ritual, she faints. Okay. Um, And when she faints, like, she sort of wakes up in this alternate reality, I guess, mm-hmm. um, where she's living, like, this n- sort of normal, mundane life. And, you know, she's not in the hospice anymore. She's, like, outside in in the world, like, working this really boring day job as a cashier at a grocery store, you know? Um, but then, like, you know, weird stuff starts to happen. And I feel like this always happens in, in Flanagan stuff, like, in Flanagan TV shows. Yeah. We get this one episode that's kind of just, like, a little weird and different. And I feel like this episode was was the one for this TV show. Yeah. Um, where you just don't really know what's happening or what's going on. But as it goes on, you start to realize that um, Anya sees, like, these other characters from the other stories that, the, that her friends have been telling, you know? Mm-hmm. She sees... Luke and Becky and she sees Dusty's mom and you know all these other things Mm -hmm. and then you realize that she's sort of still in her brain and just kind of imagining all of these things as she's somewhat in a coma and not responsive in the actual hospice still. I thought it was a good episode, but I thought that the beginning was a little weird. (laughs) Yeah, the, the beginning was a little weird. Um, yeah. But this was a really good episode. Oh, I, I think the the ritual happens in this episode. It happens at the end of this episode, right? Or oh wait, no. Uh, mm. Sh- um, 
No, no, no. Okay, no, then, then, never mind. Something happens to Anya at the end of this episode. Okay, okay, you're right, you're right. Okay, so yeah. that's what. So that's how that happens, man. Yeah. I don't know where to put the ritual on the timeline. I think the ritual is right before this. <laughs> okay, okay. I thought the reason why Ilanka stopped her story was because of um, Anya, not because of the ritual. I don't know. It's, that, it's so. That's what I thought too. It's so confusing. But, it's so yeah. Yeah, the timeline. My off. my memory of this place is off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's when when you binge it, and also when you um go through so much like heavy stuff with this story, like <laughs> right. it's so easy to mix it up. Um, it starts to all blur together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this this episode is different than the others in that it doesn't have a short story told by by any of the other characters. Anya's kind of story at the beginning with alternate reality kind of serves as the short story for this episode Mm -hmm. yeah this episode i think one of my favorite episodes not just because anya is my favorite character but (laughs) but in a way a perspective from something we haven't really seen before as much you know from someone who's going through this and to hear their their perspective of how um you're surrounded by family and loved ones you know um, and and uh, to give more backstory to Anya, Anya doesn't really have any other family. And so during the hospice care, they have this thing called family day. And it's where their family can come visit them. I want to say maybe like once every month or so. But when family day comes around, like no one comes to see Anya. Anya has no family besides her friends there at the hospice. And so in her moments of this time, that's when her friends are with her, you know, and they kind of comfort her and, and let her let her go slowly, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and so I really liked how they did this particular episode, um, how they portrayed that and, you know, how we see it from that perspective. Um, very, mm-hmm. very, uh, I have no words to describe it, but <laughs> it, it is, this is very well done. Very well done. Uh, do you want to talk about the short story for the next episode? Sure. Um, so, okay, so there's so many characters in this in this, in this <laughs> show. Eight, I think. Yeah, eight sort we of. We haven't main even characters. touched upon Natsuki. So I love Natsuki. Oh, not Natsuki's great. Natsuki's great. Yeah. Um. So this one is Natsuki's story, and she doesn't tell it to everyone because the rest of the patients they just don't feel like they want to gather because they're still going through stuff. Um. This is when Natsuki wants to tell a mesh a story. So this one is called Road to Nowhere, and um, it's about this girl who felt like she just had enough with what she's been kind of going through. So she decides to get into her car and just go out and just drive straight, you know, just keep driving straight. Just don't stop. Um, And so while she's driving, she meets these two people, these two uh, hitchhikers. She's a little hesitant at first to like, you know, pick them up, but they have like guitars. They look like they're going on a like a tour or going to play on at a venue somewhere so she's like you know what just like f it let's just i'll just pick them up let's go and while she's driving it's like she's driving like in the middle of the forest and it's like there's like a thick fog kind of coming up and also her gas is kind of running low the guy that she picked up and says oh um we should pull over because you're running low on gas and then the other person says the other hitchhiker goes and says no you're fine just 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 keep going like this kind of angel and demon thing kind of like on the shoulders you know the angel devil thing on the shoulders they kind of play that role um so that that's the best way to imagine it and so while she's driving she pulls over but then it's kind of an empty gas station there's no one in there and so the guy goes and says okay i'll go check see if there's anything and i'll come right back and then a few moments pass 
nothing happens. He comes back. It's like, okay, we gotta stop at the next one or something. And so while they're driving, they see another guy or another person who's walking. She doesn't really want to pick up the hit this other hitchhiker because you know she's already has these two as a handful. She's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just gonna keep going. So she drives right past her, and then. They stop at another gas station and they decide to get out this time. When they do that, that's when a few moments later, the guy goes and yells at them like, hey, we gotta get, get out of here now, get out of here now. And so while they're doing that, like this girl is like panicking. She's like, okay, like why the hell did I pick up these two? These people are way too much for me right now. And so these two start kind of playing with her mind saying that, you know, we don't really know what happened or what he's doing. And this kind of goes on for a couple times, right? So she starts to kind of lose it. And that's when it's revealed that when all the fog gets too thick in the forest, that's when she kind of wakes up and she realized she never left her garage. She's been in there the entire time. And now mm -hmm. her garage is filled with like the fumes of the car exhaust. And mm -hmm. so uh, that's when she um, pulls open the garage door and saves herself from potentially dying, you know? And so it sounds like a really weird story at first, but um, when she kind of explains what's going on and what she's kind of going through, I think this one's probably one of the more darker stories, I want to say, um, because it deals mm -hmm. with the real heavy topic that not a lot of people, some people do kind of brush it off, like it's not a big thing, but like uh, to those who do go through it, like it, it, it's pretty much like how this episode depicts it. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think about this, Jonathan? I really like this story. I think it's one of my favorite stories, but I actually don't like what's his name as the as Freedom Jack. Uh, Henry Thomas. Yeah, I, I I didn't like Henry Thomas as that character for some reason. Um, <laughs> Only because we know I, him from all the other ones, but <laughs> maybe maybe I just I just kind of felt like he he was a little too similar to like his other performances as the other characters, you know? Oh, okay. Um, but then the other woman, the one who played in Midnight Mass and also Hill House, and then now she's here playing as Poppycorn, I thought she did great, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, I really like this story. I don't know. I just I just appreciate the Natsuki as a character, you know? Mm -hmm. um, she admits to, or rather confides in... A mesh that she has clinical depression you know um and so there's a lot of days where she's just kind of gone and missing because she doesn't feel like you know leaving her room or doing other things you know and she also shares that this story um is basically her story that she tried to attempt suicide um but failed because her mom came home and found her and then like she decided that she wanted to live and then they found out that you know she's dying you know yeah. um and so she had kind of had this like sort of like coming to that she realized that that she had made a mistake and then all of a sudden she's hit with the reality that she's not going to live for much longer, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's just very tragic, unfair, I guess you can say, um, sort of story. But I think that, I don't remember if it was this episode or another episode, but, you know, they did talk about, somebody said, like, you know, like, like that's not fair. And 
so f it you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and 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 I, I was feeling like the weight of those words for some reason you know like this idea mm-hmm. that like such crappy stuff happens to you you know like to the point where it brings you to this moment in your life where you you feel like living is no longer an option you know mm-hmm. um or like you feel like living is just not worth it anymore and that's a very sad sort of place to be i mean i think i would be i don't think i've ever seriously thought about that kind of stuff or seriously had those kind of thoughts but i would be lying if i said that i never had those thoughts you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and so that's why i i i feel sort of a i don't know connection or sympathy towards natsuki as a character mm-hmm. and why i like her so much because even though she is going through all this stuff, you can still see that she's trying, you know? Yeah. Um, and she's trying really hard. And that kind of breaks my heart for her, I guess. Yeah, yeah. kind of like how um, how I connected with Midnight Mass with kind of the main character, what he was going through, and like that particular story overall. I, I felt very connected to this story as well. It, it does a very good job of kind of like explaining and portraying and depicting this the idea of like what it feels like to have like clinical depression you know Mm -hmm. um and and it does just like some days you want to live but some days you know you don't and it's just this is really weird tug of war like two voices in your head sort of thing where it's like yeah it's it's a little weird but you know you you go through it and it's a very um serious issue you know um Mm -hmm. and they they even have like a like a uh, disclaimer at the end of the episode too if you do need help you know there's help out there so yeah this story was it was a little weird at first because you're not really sure what's kind of going on but like at Mm -hmm. the end of it 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 wraps up really well Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm okay uh next one oh i'm this one yeah (laughs) okay uh, the suspense story. This one. This one's yeah, but yeah. So I was like, like at throughout the entire show, I was like, man, when Spence gonna tell the story? Because I want to hear when <laughs> Spence tells the <this> story. <laughs> right, right. So Spence tells this story in the next episode about a <laughs> a young man who uh, is in college and he transfers to this college. And kind of has the hots for this, like, engineer who is this engineer student who mm-hmm. is, like, really into robotics and stuff like that. And so he ends up buying this VCR to, like, record Terminator on TV to invite the guy over for, like, to watch a movie for movie night. So he records his VC he, he sets his VCR to record automatically. And the next day, when he invites the guy over, they watch the videotape, and the videotape is of this, like, news story. Um, and so they're like, what the heck, man? Like, we can't we can't watch Terminator now. Like, it's just this lame recording of a news story or whatever. So they end up going to a bar instead. They see on TV that, you know, um, there's a football game going on. And during the recording of the news story that they watched earlier... It was the exact same team. So they were confused. Like, didn't this game already happen? Like, we already know the score. We already know who won. And so they make a bet with this other guy there. And they bet that, like, 
oh, this person's going to make the final touchdown and they're going to win. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, I'll take that bet easy. You know, they're going to lose. And it turns out that they're right. And the VCR records the future, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Um, so it's a really interesting premise uh, for a story. And I like this story, but it just gets really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it got, it got like futuristic sci-fi weird. Yeah, it got but, like... But, but like sci-fi of the 90s and like even before then were really weird <laughs> yeah, at that time. I, I, I kind of forgave it. Because, again, it's, like, that campy, cheesy, like, 90s nostalgia, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is fine, you know? But, like, it just kind of took this really weird turn about, like, you know, I think in, like, Act 3 of his story, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought it was really funny. But at the same time, I thought it was also really endearing and cute. Being an LGBTQ myself, like, and seeing Spence tell the story of, like, a romance between his character and and another character and stuff and just kind of seeing how like a 90s gay kid would sort of paint the picture of his own gay story you know Mm -hmm. um i thought that was really um endearing and i enjoyed it essentially Mm -hmm. and and i also really like spence as a character too i think he's one of my favorite characters yeah yes spence is a great character um yeah and i think one of the the big things too about spence's story is about like in the story he's like this robot from the future that was defective or something (laughs) it's really weird right but then yeah it it, kind of does speak into kind of how he's felt sometimes yeah you know and how he sees himself uh-huh and, because and, the and, world sees him uh, that way uh, exactly yeah. and so like when i saw that i was like oh man like that's that's rough you know yeah uh, the more you hear these stories the more it's like man like these people are you know when they tell their stories it, it just speaks so much soul it just has so mm-hmm. much heart in it um and, and like <laughs> with these stories it's hard, it's hard to think of it as, as like a horror story you know right but i think the surface of it was a little weird because of the sci-fi stuff but like at the heart of it like you start to see you're like okay i think it makes a lot of sense yeah right yeah i i I agree like this whole idea of like you know like you're you're not defected you know and Mm -hmm. even if you think you are like I'm, i'm still gonna love you because of it you know um and i think that's a very very beautiful message last episode i guess yeah, final episode. Yeah. So um, last episode, we finally get the conclusion of the Wicked Heart. And so in this one, Dusty confesses to Sheila that he was the serial killer the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Sheila couldn't believe it. But then like some re- a really creepy moment happens when, <laughs> <laughs> when Dusty's mom climbs in. Yeah. No, doesn't walk like, into his room. Hell no. <laughs> Freaking out. Freaking uh, hereditary vibes here. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> so, she's like literally crawling in. Yeah, I'm like, crawling in. No, dude. Yeah, crawling into the room, and then um, the mom tries to kill Sheila, but then Dusty stops. It's a little blurry for me right at the moment. Yeah, Dusty but, kills the mom. Okay, yeah. Dusty kills the mom, and uh-huh. then when the mom dies, the voices, the demon, yeah, the demon voices spread to him and take over Dusty, but then. And so they get uh, Dusty and Sheila again to fight. And then when Sheila stops Dusty, she doesn't like kill him. She like only like she kind of she she pulls back basically. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it injures him, and so he gets admitted to an asylum. Solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then that way he will never hurt others again, like those he cares about, basically. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much the end of that story. And you mentioned here earlier <laughs> that... that um, uh, so the, the thing with Dusty's character is that he sees like his victims as ghosts throughout the entire story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was at this point where <laughs> they ascend to heaven, basically. <laughs> after, after, um, yeah, after, I think it's after the, the mom, after the mom dies, that's when they ascend to heaven. Yeah. And then <laughs> and the voices take over Dusty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The ending did feel a little abrupt, and I think um, Ilanka kind of mentions it to Kevin. It's like, I'm, I don't like that ending. And, and so mm-hmm. it's so interesting how, like, the way the characters end their stories is so, like, telling of how they see things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I really liked how they played on that and how they used that to their advantage, basically. We also look at the ending of Witch, which is the story with the scrying with imani that can scry um Mm -hmm. this one this one's blurry for me for some reason (laughs) yeah i I can talk a little bit about this one so um at the end of the story with witch um what happens is imani's like imani essentially was told by her mom that if you try to change the future reality will snap back at you so since she was trying to save, you know, her boyfriend from getting killed, it essentially snapped back at her and her boyfriend died anyway. And so now instead of just her boyfriend dying, her friend was also now in the hospital in a coma. And so she had to go back to the hospital to see her friend to see if she could do anything about healing her friend back. And she tries to use her healing powers on her friend, which essentially pushes her into the limit of dying. And she meets her mom, who helps her mom heal her friend, but at the cost of her own life. And so Ilanka essentially can't finish the story because the story is basically the story of Anya and and what happened to Anya. And so the rest of her friends help her to finish the ending of that story together. Mm-hmm. Honest, I wasn't a huge fan of this story in general, but I understood yeah. it very well, and I really liked how it ended because everyone mm-hmm. chipped in to kind of help tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. I know it's like a reflection of Ilanka and stuff, and we we already kind of see a lot of things from her perspective and her story. But yeah, I, I don't know. For me, I don't think this story really compared to everyone else's story. This one didn't like flow. Yeah. That yeah, well. the the yeah. reason why I like this story is actually because Sherry chips in for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Like we yes. never so there's another character named Sherry which is also one of my favorite characters and like we don't hear her tell any stories at all. She's just kind of there. And then for the first time after Ilanka says I can't finish this story you guys like it's it's too much, Sherry picks up the mantle and like starts telling the story like she continues off you know mm-hmm. um and then she puts like sherry is a character who like is a compulsive liar and so she like makes up all of this really fluffy stuff about like the story they're like no that didn't happen you know and so they kind of start 
telling the story together in a collaborative storytelling sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why I liked the stories because we actually get to hear from Sherry for the first time and Sherry's storytelling because throughout the whole series, like nobody really trusts Sherry because I think her sort of defense mechanism for being terminally ill is that she makes up stuff so that people will want to talk to her or so that she will seem interesting to people, you know? Mm -hmm. But at the heart of who Sherry is, like, she's a very caring person, and she's normally really quiet. And because of that, I think she listens a lot, and she remembers everything that everybody says. So, like, in moments where, you know, they receive gifts from Sherry, the gifts are very meaningful, I'm a little bit like that, too, in my own gift giving. Like, I'm not a really good gift giver in terms of, like, oh, it's somebody's birthday, and so I'm going to give them something. But when it comes to gift giving, like, if I see something at the store and it reminds me of you because of this one thing that you mentioned to me a long time ago, like, I will think of you and I will likely buy that thing for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sherry's that sort of character. Where, like, she remembers the things that she says, and when her friends mention something, that they want something or need something, she remembers it and she does it for them, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, Yeah. Because she cares for them. Um, And so I think, you know, just sort of that part made me like the story and the episode Mm -hmm. as a whole. Okay. Yeah. What do you think of Sherry? Uh, oh, I, I I love Sherry. She, she's a great character. <laughs> um, she she was a little like you're not really sure what to think of her at first because yeah she's, she's a little off putting yeah a little off putting and kind of off in her own world at first. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like the first time we meet her, she's playing the cello, and <laughs> Ilanka <laughs> goes and says, "Oh, did you make did you write that piece?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, I did." <laughs> <laughs> and then Spence was like. She didn't write that piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really funny. funny. And then the episode ends with a kind of bit of a cliffhanger plot twist kind of thing <laughs> as it is. But like, to be honest, like even with just this season, like I'm okay with just this, but the, it does, that cliffhanger does seem to kind of leave a little more for season two, but I, I don't know. You might not need one, you know? This entire the series was mainly about the patients and kind of what they're going through, you know, and how yeah. they're dealing with it. And we've already kind of got that. And the only reason why they would have a season two is if you were really interested in the overarching plot, I guess. But the overarching plot isn't the point, you know? Right, um, right. But there's, yeah. there's actually a couple of things that are still left unexplained, unless there's something else you want to add. I think there's going to be a season two. I guess they're waiting on whether or not it's going to get greenlit, you know? Oh, okay. Um, but I hope that there is, because I, f- I still feel like there's a lot of story to be told with these characters, and... You know, I feel like there's, like, a show engine here, you know, with multiple yeah. seasons. Because, you know, you're dealing with terminally ill kids, you know, terminally ill teenagers, uh, or young people, rather. And also, like, they have all these stories that they want to tell, you know? Mm-hmm. There's room for character development, relationships, and, like, all that other stuff, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so, I think that there could definitely be a season two. And like you were about to say, like there are definitely some threads that are not 
like done like at all you know what Mm -hmm. i mean yeah um especially between kevin and ilanka you know Mm -hmm. um like there's a thread there that's just not done so um Mm -hmm. i I really hope that we get to see more yeah i agree And, and also like they don't explain what ilanka sees you know whenever she sees like these two ghosts they don't really explain them I think they tried to explain it when remember when they were um when they were talking about it you know which ghost i'm talking about right the ones that ilanka sees right the ones that ilanka and yeah, the, um kevin yeah and kevin see yeah yeah like like like, like that old man and the uh, the old lady <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah they they don't really explain that very well but i think natsuki kind of hinted something saying that like when death is kind of looming you kind of start seeing stuff, so something like that. Because Natsuki had like a like an old story that right. she heard when she was younger. So right, yeah. There's a lot of things, a lot of threads that are still untied. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I'm open for season two, but I'd be happy either way. But like, man, this show though was very, <laughs> and, and it's like like I would love to recommend this show. You know, I would love to recommend this show to, like, everyone. But, like, I think the horror elements are really blocking a lot of people from hearing this, like, beautiful, amazing story, you know, mm-hmm. about, like, what it like what it means to live, you know? Um, and what it means to die. <laughs> and what it means to die, you know? It, it's, yeah. re- it's real humanity, like, re- the real human experience, you know? it's so well told and so well done and it's like man i just want (laughs) i just want to say man if you can brave through it which i know i know some people won't be able to uh the jump scares didn't really get me but they're very like sudden and can definitely get like the real jumpy people (laughs) Mm -hmm. i would imagine so but yeah like this show oh my god I, i i loved this show it was definitely a lot different than than all the other ones that flanagan's been involved with my opinion but it still has like those those real deep emotional um experiences so yeah that's Mm -hmm. that's what i think yeah this is a very very good tv show one that i enjoyed you know um all subjective here you know (laughs) but i don't know it just it just deals with really heavy stuff in a way that is beautiful the writing is great the acting is great i enjoyed enjoyed is is a weird word but i guess i enjoyed this tv show and watching it i kind of wish that like i could watch it over a span of time instead because we're binging this for right you know the podcast i think i would have very much enjoyed it in smaller chunks you know yeah um just because it's so much you know what i mean it's so heavy um I feel like there are a lot of themes here that continue to come up with Flanagan films. I feel like it's very similar to Dr. Sleep. I feel like in terms of themes, I feel like it's very similar to Bly Manor. And so, yeah, I mean, if you enjoyed Bly Manor, Dr. Sleep, then you will enjoy The Midnight Club. I really enjoyed watching it. And maybe when my brain isn't so fogged from all of the heaviness of everything, uh, I can actually find time to <laughs> to watch it again, but enjoy it, you know, <laughs> enjoy yeah. it more. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, 
benching it like i benched it all in one day so it, like it was like such a blur trying to remember everything because so much happens each episode because a lot of times I, I would find myself looking at the timestamps, say man only that much time has passed but so much has happened you know right. and yeah so if if you haven't seen it yet and you've already heard all of this oh boy but <laughs> but um definitely like this the story is better seen in chunks than in like a binge night it, mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot to take in all at the same time so yeah 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 we're still definitely at the beginning of october so you know you have like three weeks to watch 10 episodes um and so i say it's definitely worth the time and again this isn't even though it has horror elements in it it's honestly to me it's not that scary there are some scary moments, you know, here and there, but overall, the scare factor, I'd say, like, maybe, like, a 6 out of 10, you know, for yeah. the scare factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not that scary. Yeah, and if you listen to us this far and you haven't seen it yet, um, we haven't really talked about the overarching plot of the series. We've mainly only touched upon each episode and their stories, so there's definitely more we haven't talked about yet. Otherwise, mm-hmm. this would be a four-hour show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend this, even to people who don't like horror, because I feel like you can close your eyes or mute the TV, <laughs> and you'll be fine, you know, during those moments. So Yeah. All right, so that was our sort of deep dive slash review of Werewolf by Night and The Midnight Club. If you haven't seen these... I mean, you heard it here from us. We really enjoyed it. So give them a try for this Halloween season. Again, thank you so much for coming to hang out and chat with us. Next week, we're going to talk about a few. Is it a few? Yeah, it's a few uh, films. Probably our most quote-unquote traditional horror films for this, uh, this year's podcast. But we'll be talking about Prey, which is on Hulu. We'll be talking about Nope which is by Jordan Peele. And we'll be talking about Quiet Place Part 2. So if you haven't seen those, give them a watch and come next week or just come next week and hear us chat about all those. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Episode 2, Bumps in the Night. We'll see you guys next time.